Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Philip from uh, Purple Technology. Hey, man. Hey, Anne. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, I guess I've been kind of aware of you for a little while now and some of the things that you've been talking about, the work you're doing at the Purple Technology. And uh, we're actually both speaking at the Serverless uh, Summit this week. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, So for the audience who haven't heard about the Purple Technology, can you maybe give us a quick introduction about uh, what the company does and uh, what is your role at the Purple Technology? Sure. Yeah, at Purple Technology, we are based in uh, Brno in Czech Republic in Europe. Uh, We are developing software for global brokerage companies who are in the Forex business, and we are developing for them their uh, web applications, we can say, uh, inside which they can, um, it's something like internet banking, where people can deposit money, withdraw money, manage their accounts. And also a big portion of our work is also KYC AML processes and their automatization. And that's essentially what got us to adopt serverless. Yeah, so that's interesting because uh, as a fintech company, I guess the, some of the things that are really important for you are around security. I guess uh, how much does that play into the decision to use the serverless? Because I've spoken with a few other, I guess, fintech companies in the past, and the security was always one of the top reasons why uh, they are deciding to go with serverless. Yeah, in our case, we are not uh, that heavily regulated, even though we are. So after all our research, we figured out that uh, AWS has all the necessary certifications and that it's basically okay for us to go. So we decided to add up step functions in the beginning together with Lambda in order to automate uh, all the processes. And because we needed to see inside the processes because they are very complex and step functions enabled it as for. Uh, that was a deal breaker for us, let's say, four years ago when we started with serverless. Yeah. Four years ago, I guess that's when step functions were still kind of new. I remember it was uh, first came out as a much better guess, version of uh, Amazon Simple Workflow, which I used to work with. Uh, and it was really difficult to use. And step functions uh, changed that a lot. So can you maybe give us some examples of uh, workflows that you, you know, they're implementing with uh, Step Functions? And one of the questions I get a lot is, um, you know, Step Functions is kind of expensive. So, you know, when do you use it versus using something else? Like, for example, should I be writing my workflows in the Lambda function or use uh, Lambda's um, destination so that I can trigger another function after one function finishes? At what point does it make sense for you to use the Step Functions instead? Yeah, since we are really more focused on the complexity of the processes rather than on the traffic, in that case, the pricing of step functions really doesn't uh, have any impact for us. The, for us, the biggest business value was that we can see inside those complex processes because they have like um, 20, 20 steps, for example, and we it's very important for us to see inside which step each client is and those steps can eventually fail because they are contacting external systems and we need to be able to like rerun those steps and then continue the execution. So for us, the, the ability to have the nice tool where we can visualize the processes, where we can track them was really the deal breaker. And we, and since we don't have like billions of clients, it's not that important for us, the, the pricing, let's say because it's really small in our in our numbers. But in case somebody is using some automation, which is running 
like uh, I don't know every 10 minutes and is having several steps and tens of iterations and I have to also try to do something like this then it can get expensive that's true but for like the business processes it is worth it I would say Okay, so I guess it's the, the fact that you can quite easily visualize transactions and where they failed and debug things. Um, but where you mentioned that you want to be able to uh, rerun the steps that failed, uh, step function doesn't do that right now. So are you implementing some custom things to allow you to, say, resume from a failed step? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we actually sort of created our own pattern for this. We call it a recovery pattern, which means that there is always a try catch for these risky steps. And if the if the step fails, we used to use uh, step functions activities, but nowadays we use the um, callback pattern in step functions, which basically saves the task token inside the database and notifies us that, hey, look, this step failed take a look at that and eventually we can rerun it or we can uh, continue with different input and stuff like that. So yes, we needed to create our own pattern for that. And um, also I will be talking about this in uh, in uh, in the talk in the serverless summit actually. So yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so let me just uh, make sure I understand what you're doing. So for all the risky steps that you want to be able to resume, uh, you're using the callback pattern, you're storing the token in your database, and when the failure happens, you're not reporting back to step functions with the error. Instead, you're calling something to uh, let your developers know that, hey, something's gone wrong. Please take a look and fix it before the task token expires so that uh, you fix the problem and then rerun the step and then reply to step function with the token with a success as opposed to an error. Yeah, exactly. That's correct. Okay, right. That's actually quite clever. That's quite a nice uh, way to do that. I guess the, the main downside I can think of is just uh, it adds a bit of a complexity to your state machine definition. So there's uh, a lot of those uh, double dollar sign to get a token and then have to save it and then process it off band or out of band. Yeah, but we were able to create sort of a system which processes these failures as, as the step itself. Then with serverless framework, we were able to like put the the steps inside like variables, so it get a bit better. But uh, as you said, it's um, in the end, it's a bit messy. The chart, the the graph, the visualization, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so you started with uh, step functions uh, back in twenty seventeen, and I guess uh, now it's uh, four years later, almost five years later. Uh, what's changed? I imagine you are using more and more serverless components now. You know, I guess Lambda API Gateway. Uh, how much has that grown in your company? Yeah, basically, we started like four years ago with automating the process one by one. And uh, nowadays, I can say that we are like 90% serverless. And hopefully, during next year, we will make it to 100%. Yeah, we started adopting API Gateway, DynamoDB, Lambda, obviously, and um, Event Bus. That was a huge feature for us. Yeah, basically, like, Every service we we find useful for any use case, so like Cognito, for example, AppSync, yeah, all that, all the stuff we can use for web application development, basically, yeah. So it's a lot of them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess the the fact that you are adopting serverless more and more means that things are going well. Uh, that you know, it's bringing value. So what would you say are some of the biggest wins uh, since the company started to adopt serverless? 
Yeah, we are in contact with, um, let's say, external consulting companies. And they told us they have not seen uh, any team to be so efficient, let's say, that in so small group of people, like uh, four years ago, there were like four of us. Nowadays, we are like 15 and we are growing. They saw the complexity and um, the scale of the systems. And they said that, well, you are working really efficiently. And we said that, yeah, this is thanks to serverless, actually, because we don't need to, we are just writing the code and we don't need to worry about all the operations and stuff around. Yeah, we have like to give a perspective. We have, for example, more than 600 Lambda functions in production. We have um, 20 plus state machines, which all have like 20 or more steps. We have some DynamoDB tables and stuff like that. Yeah. And we are growing still. Yeah, it's funny that uh, you mentioned the fact that uh, uh, you know you guys are working so much more efficiently because there's just less things for you to have to worry about. I guess it calls to mind something that the Corey Queen recently wrote about uh, to unfulfill the promise of a serverless. So that I think that kicked off a lot of conversations in the community. I think uh, some of the things what Corey mentioned makes sense that, you know, we're not just writing business logic. There's still a lot of other things we've got to write, you know, like the step function definitions and things like that. But compared to the amount of other, I guess, uh, undifferentiated heavy lifting, that's the Amazon's favorite uh, word. You now, things that we used to have to do before, uh, this is still a big step forward. It's not maybe as far as... Uh, I guess uh, uh, Werner promised uh, all those years ago in terms of just writing business logic, but it's still a big step forward. And I think like um, you guys are uh, making a lot of good use of your developers' time. And so you can do a more with fewer developers. And I've seen the same thing with lots of small companies that are able to do so much because they don't have to worry about infrastructures and uh, uh, having to worry about patching the images, the machine images, and, and uh, updating their OS uh, uh, dependencies and all of that stuff. And certainly I find myself uh, you know, taking on projects that before I would have to hire a whole team to do, and now I can just do it myself. I have to say the productivity gains are massive there. And uh, I'm also also quite curious as well in terms of your stack. Um, you talked about you know the service framework. You talked about using you know, API Gateway, DynamoDB, Lambda, and so on. Uh, what are some of the things that you're using uh, tooling-wise in terms of, for say, monitoring uh, your system? Step functions give you all that visibility in terms of that visualization graph you get, which is great. But uh, how do you, you know, debug a problem, say, in your Lambda functions uh, or just, you know, getting alerts when the something goes wrong in your web layer? Um, are you using anything so specific? Yeah, in terms of the, of the whole stack, we created two or three years ago our own, we call it purple stack, which uh, was supposed to serve our needs. It's basically a monorepo, which contains arbitrary number of uh, serverless services and also a front-end uh, hosted in S3 CloudFront and the AppSync API and then backend services, which are usually the state machines and stuff like that. And we manage it all together with Lerna. We are developing in, um, in TypeScript. That's how we manage the infrastructure, let's say the code-wise. And uh, in terms of the operations, uh, basically, as I mentioned, the most important thing for us are the failing steps inside the st step functions. So we have a Slack bot for that, which is uh, notifying us in terms of alerts. Other than that, well, if something starts failing, we are uh, looking into the CloudWatch logs. We are using the um, structured logging. 
so we are logging our logs in JSON. And thanks to that, we can search for those logs in uh, CloudWatch Insights, which is also a very useful service from AWS. Yeah, I would say that's the that's the main debugging. We are looking also at the at the X-ray or Lumigo, for example. But let's say it didn't catch up; it didn't get the traction inside the team. Okay, and uh, I actually got a question in that case about uh, your use of a uh, monorepo. Uh, it's, it's an approach I've used uh, quite heavily myself as well, and there's, I've seen quite a few different uh, different approach to how you do deployments with a monorepo. Uh, I've seen a lot of people they would have uh, say a separate folder for say shared libraries, and so in their project, if it's all JavaScript, then that they can use uh, symlinks to reference those shared library, and so when they bundle things together, both the front end and back end can share code, and you use a webpack to bring them in. And then uh, I think you said you use learner. Is that so that you can detect which services have changed based on the files that was touched by the commit so that you know which one to deploy? Uh, yeah, basically, that's a very, very good point. Uh, we quickly stumbled upon this issue that the deployment started to take like 15 or 30 minutes. Yeah, Lerna is basically in um, in JavaScript world like tool for managing the, the monorepo uh, in terms of installing packages, linking dependencies with symlinks, as you mentioned. Lerna also has this ability to like filter out, let's say, packages or services which changed until some commit in the past. So we created our own um, utility, let's say. We call it Lerna Smart Run. Uh, we have also a blog article on our blog site. Uh, this allowed us to after every deploy, create a git tag, and since that git tag in the next deploy, we know we can detect what has changed actually, including the sub dependencies inside some packages and stuff like that, and then just deploy the services which really changed. So that was a deal break deal breaker for us, I would say. Yeah, sounds like that's a quite a similar approach to what the Lego team is doing. They're also using Learner to detect uh, based on the commits. Uh, which files have changed, and then based on the file that's changed, which services that depend on those shared files are, are not, should be deployed again, uh, so they they don't deploy everything. Um, so I've got another, I guess, a question around your sort of use of uh, service technologies in general. So you've been using it for a while now. Uh, are there still some technical challenges or other, I guess, uh, maybe uh, cultural challenges that you find uh, that you have to face quite regularly? Because um, uh, obviously the tooling has improved a lot, uh, and uh, also the services has become more capable over time. But there's you no know, still I can still hear people complain about occasionally there's you no know, we couldn't do X or, or Y or Z. So in the work that you are doing, are there anything that's you know, particularly frustrating for you? Yeah, the biggest thing for us right now is um, is for example the fact that we are not able to really hire serverless engineers here and maybe not that much even across the world, uh, because there is not many of them. But I guess that's uh, that's okay, since this is such a new uh, new industry, and we can learn, teach people. And the other thing is the tooling. Yeah, you were right. Um, just yesterday, I kicked off a discussion in AWS Community Builder Slack about serverless framework and whether other people think that it is slowing down its innovations or not. Yeah, for example, what I like is the is the SAM Accelerate feature, which I think first was introduced by Serverless Stack, that uh, it allows you to just deploy your code changes and not wait for 
for your whole CloudFormation stack to deploy and stuff like that. So I would say that um, that's those are the places where we need to innovate more. If we say, all right, we want uh, to debug inside the cloud, well, then we need to be able to quickly deploy it into the cloud, uh, which is not happening nowadays with uh, huge CloudFormation stacks. Also, yeah, I would say that's, yeah, that's the main thing. That's the main thing, yeah. So I use the server framework myself as well, and uh, it does have that uh, deploy function command that you can deploy a single function. Is that not enough for your use case, or is that because you're using step functions, so you often have to deploy multiple functions in one go? Yeah, well, it's it's a good start, but it froze there in, in, in place. Uh, but the Accelerate, as far as I know, it automatically detects the changes you've made and deploys it immediately. Like for example, Webpack Watch or stuff like that. So uh, in case of serverless framework, you need to go and manually hit the deploy. But in case of SAM, Accelerate, it just does it automatically. Right, okay. Uh, I haven't used it before, so that sounds like it could be quite a useful thing to do. Um, do you do any sort of uh, testing locally? Because uh, that's another thing that I've done so that uh, I don't have to deploy to figure out that there's some problem. And uh, when I run those uh, tests locally, I can also uh, catch you know, put breakpoint and the catch problems, especially when I'm working with a JavaScript. Yeah, what we develop locally is, uh, for example, API with AppSync Simulator uh, from Ben, Ben Benoit. Uh, that's that's a very useful thing. But for example, in case of step functions, well, we can do the unit tests, but uh, sometimes we need to deploy it simply. Um, some services like event bus and stuff like that, it's hard to emulate locally without using some local stack. I'm not sure how, what's the status of that right now. So yeah, we are developing locally, like let's say 50% of time. Okay, and I guess that with uh, step functions, uh, if you need to update the step function definition, then you have to do a full deployment anyway. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure how that's gonna how does that the server stack do that? Uh, you don't have to do a deployment, or you do have to? I didn't hear that. Yeah, if you change the step function definition itself, uh, I think that needs to be a full deployment, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's like one of the one of the issues, but it can be also. It can be solved in the same way, like uh, like the like the lambda deployment that uh, you just overcome the the cloud formation and you do a direct API call. But of course, this cannot be done for all the services. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, and I guess another thing I've done done in the past is the just I've just used the console to edit things because the for step functions the console also lets me visualize it, uh, which is something that uh, I find uh, difficult to do when I'm working with uh, um, the service of YAML and using the st uh, step functions the plugin because I'm just you know, writing YAML and uh, it's, I'm not really visualizing it at least not for complex uh, uh, state machines. Have you started using the step functions uh, visual uh, editor yet? Not really, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I think there is a plugin to VS Code which can visualize the the YAML for you. So maybe some of our developers are using that, but uh, I'm not really sure right now. Um, so Step Functions, uh, in, I think a couple of months ago, introduced a new feature that lets yeah, no. you design the uh, yeah. So that's not the that's not just visualizing. Uh, I think designing visually is uh, mm -hmm. uh, is much more powerful uh, you can still switch back to YAML but uh, I think a lot of the 
workflow is a you know I like to design mm-hmm. them visually, and I think that's uh, that's been quite a useful thing. Yeah, I love, to, uh, I love the editor. I just used it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And what about the, in terms of uh, testing the state machine itself? Because I imagine not all of your steps are using Lambda. So have you found some approach to test the state machine themselves? Uh, yeah, basically we deploy the whole application, let's say. Uh, we are able to deploy the whole feature. And in, th- in that case, we let QA test the application itself. And this application is starting the state machines. And they then they have access to, to step functions to check if the execution is being executed correctly, and, uh, and uh, then they can see the result inside the application. So yeah, that's basically, basically how we test it, like end to end, I would say. Okay, um, I guess this reinvent is just around the corner. Do you have any sort of wish list uh, items for step functions or Lambda that you like to share? I don't really have any wish list. I would say. I mean, I love the um, the pace at how AWS is developing uh, everything around serverless and basically all their services so i trust them i would say in this uh, this way yeah that's uh i don't have any wish list basically yeah okay uh, so in terms of uh, hiring is that something that uh, uh, you're looking for specifically i guess uh, maybe someone who's listening to this podcast right now maybe interested in is there somewhere that they can go to see your job specs and the, what roles you have uh yeah sure uh, they can definitely go to purple-technology.com and they will see the open roles there, or they can ch- uh, they can check out our blog, which is blog.purpletechnology.com. Uh, yeah, or if they have any questions, they can contact me on Twitter, and we can chat about that. Or the next week, we are organizing serverless burnout meetup for the local community, so we can also meet there. Yeah. Okay, I'll get those uh, links included in the show notes. Um, so is there anything else that uh, you'd like to sort of mention before we go? Any sort of personal projects or other things that uh, you're doing that you want to give a shout out to? I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I I love 3D printing in my free time. I have created a collection of, uh, of 3D models which are related to AWS. For example, little lambdas or the icons of the services. Uh, for example, Jeff Byer really liked them on Twitter. So, yeah, if you like 3D printing, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, check my Twitter and you will find the links to, to download the STLs there. Okay, I'll, to, I'll put a link to your Twitter profile as well so that people can check out your 3D printed uh, uh, AWS logos. Um, so, so, Philip, thanks again for joining us today and sharing your, uh, your story with uh, Purple Technology and the serverless. Thank you very much for giving me the, giving me the space here. No worries. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow at the serverless summit. Yeah, see you tomorrow. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.